Wow, that was quite a morning already, isn't it? Are you ready for some more? God has got more for us. I'm very excited. So um, we've been going through this series in Luke. Um, We've been there for a long time now. Um, So today we end up in Luke chapter 20. So if you wanted to read along, you can uh, look up Luke chapter 20. So, so far, we've seen how Jesus has been born, how he's done his ministry on the earth, how he's proclaiming the good news everywhere he went. And things are getting a little bit awkward now because the leaders of that day did not like Jesus' message. So it's getting a bit dangerous for Jesus. And it's the start of all of that. So um, this is Luke chapter 20. is the whole chapter. It's quite a, a few verses to get through. But Through it all, there's one theme that I want to pick out that you will see later on, Um, but we're going to read it all, and it's a story really about the leaders of that day getting really, really offended by Jesus' message and trying all sorts of things to distract, and it's quite a funny story really when you think about it. But let's start, let's pick up Luke 20 verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Uh, Tell us, by what authority you are doing these things, they said, who gave you this authority? He replied, oh, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, "Uh, we don't know where it was from. (laughs) Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you what authority I'm doing these things. When you read the Bible, it's actually quite funny sometimes when you read it. I love it. Anyway, but Jesus in the temple courts, he was meeting the leaders where they are. He was proclaiming the good news. And um, the leaders were very, very offensive. So they thought, let's ask him a question. So uh, Jesus, tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who are you to do all these things? And Jesus is... He is so clever in answering. He doesn't actually give them an answer because he knew they weren't really after um, the answer that he wanted to give them. They were just, they were just offended by him and they wanted to, uh, to trip him up. So he's asking them a question back. And he's saying, so John's baptism, let's see, it says here, John's baptism in verse, uh, let's see where it is, uh, Verse 4, was it from heaven or of human origin? So he's, he's, he knows that if, if they agree with him that he was the John the Baptist, the John the Baptizer was from, was from heaven, that John's baptism was from heaven, they would agree that Jesus is also from heaven. And they sort of didn't want that. But if they said, no, we don't believe that, they would agree, they would not agree with John the Baptist, they would get in trouble with the crowd. So they were like, oh, now what do we do? They were sort of scratching their heads and they said, well, cop out, question, cop out to the question. I don't know, really. So it was, it was quite, it's a classic cop out, really. They didn't know what to say. They wanted to trip him up and he, Jesus leaves them in awe and wonder, gobsmacked. So one law in Jesus' court. Let's pick it up in verse 9. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also 
they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He still sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they, asked the matter, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyards to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Or Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Very important passage is. The teachers of the law and the chief priest looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. Now, when you read this story in our time, it might be a bit of a strange story. We don't really understand maybe perhaps what it's all about. But they would know exactly what this was about. They would know that the owner of the vineyard is God. The vineyards were like God's people. The, um, the, Jew, the Jewish leaders... They will be the, the, the tenants, the priests, the le- Israel's leaders. And in history, every time God sends messages of prophets. So, um, you know, like in the story, it says that um, there'll be people who are coming. So it says, um, let's see. This, the, so they, they, the, sorry, the servants were coming. The servants were coming, and they were coming time and time again to the vineyard. Now, the servants were like the prophets in the olden days that would come, that would warn God's people. And they were saying, um, listen to God. God's salvation is here. Listen to God. But every time the Israelites would be saying no, they would say, no, no, we don't, we don't want to listen to this. Um, we're going to go our own way. Until God sends his son, which is also in this story, isn't it? So the owner of the vineyard sends his son, and... Um, he, he was sending his son, but they said, do you know what? We're going to kill him. So it's like Jesus saying, this is what's going to happen to you as well. You're going to reject me. You're going to kill me. And actually, they were like, no way. God forbid. We'll never do that. But actually, they will, won't they? And then it says in verse 17, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Well, Jesus is saying, I'm the cornerstone. So I'm a cornerstone is a stone that builds two walls, binds two walls together in a building to make it really strong. Um, and he's saying, there's two responses to me. You either come to me, you're broken in pieces, you're surrendered to me, I commend you, or you stay broken and you won't be mended. You, you reject me. Well, that's what the, the Pharisees and the leaders chose to do. They took offense, they stumbled upon him. Let's pick it up in verse 20. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give back to Caesar's what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. 
they were unable to trap him in what he said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became quite silent. Again, they were trying to catch Jesus out. Jesus is really clever in his answer back. He leaves them with a riddle, and they were like, oh, don't know what to say now. They were gobsmacked again. This is what Jesus does. So they were trying to um, trip him up in the questions about, about the Romans. Now, the Romans were occupying Israel at the time, and um, the Israelites didn't like that. They wanted to be, obviously have their own uh, country back. So they thought, maybe if we, if we throw something in about the Romans, about Caesar, about Texas, maybe we can trip him up, sort of get Rome to, um, to uh, bring trouble on Jesus through the Romans. But Jesus is really, really clever. He's saying, you know what? I'm not going to play your game. I'm just going to reveal what's in your heart and say you need to give to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God's what's God's. And again, they were left. Gobsmacked, didn't know what to say because Jesus was so, so clever. To know when Jesus is caught. Let's pick it up in verse 27. So some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and the third married her, and in the same way the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrections, whose wife will she be? Since the seven were married to her. Jesus replied, The people of this age marry, and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come, and in the resurrection from the dead, will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teachers, teacher, and no one dared to ask him any more questions. Isn't that great? They came to trip him up. They asked loads of questions. In the end, no one dared to ask him any more questions. They're like, we took. Isn't it amazing? Now, the leaders of the people were, um, were like the priests uh, and um, the Pharisees were like, were like groups of people. So the Pharisees were like a religious group of people. The Sadducees who come in here are also like a religious group of people. Normally, they were the enemies of each other because of things they thought differently about. But in this occasion, they're like, we really, really all don't like Jesus. So it's a comparison. We're going to all gang up against Jesus. So now the Sadducees were up and they were, saying, they were thinking, you know what? We're going to ask him a question about the one big thing that we all disagree upon, the resurrection of the dead. Because it says here that the Sadducees um, did not believe that people would rise from the dead to everlasting life. They just did not believe that, whilst the Pharisees would. So they thought, let's ask Jesus this question, because it's a difficult question, um, to see if we can trip him up with that. So they ask a question about, you know, a lady marries, and then Moses says in the law that you then, um, the brother, if, if that husband dies, the brother then needs to marry, and then that brother dies, and then another brother marries him. It's a bit of a sort of out of the, it doesn't really, it can't really happen, these things. So it's a bit of a weird question they would ask, but they, would, they thought if we present him with such a difficult question, surely he doesn't have an answer to that. But Jesus does something really brilliantly. 
he doesn't answer the question. He reveals what's in their hearts. And he's trying to um, help their way of thinking. He's trying to correct their wrong way of thinking. And that's what Jesus does, isn't it? He's trying to correct, correct the wrong way of thinking. He's saying, you think this is so important, but actually, I'm not a God of the dead, but I'm a God of the living. What we've been singing about this morning, isn't it? That God is a God of the living. And that's what he wants them to understand. He sees right through them. Three know when Jesus caught. Hang on, we're nearly there. Verse 41. Then Jesus said to them, Why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? So after a day of lots of questions being thrown at Jesus, Jesus reverting it. He's saying, now I'm going to ask you a question. Because he wanted them to understand that the Messiah they thought would come was not the Messiah that he was. They thought that the Messiah would be, well, it's been prophesied in Isaiah and the Old Testament loads of time that the Messiah, Messiah would come. Now they interpreted it as like the Messiah would come and would set us free from the Romans, we'll, we'll all, all be fine. But instead, Jesus is revealing something deeper, what's in their hearts. And they did not like that. So here he's saying, he's saying, David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? So he's saying, I'm not just an earthly king. I'm the Lord of all. David was just an earthly king. Well, I'm bigger than David. I'm the Lord of David. So this is what he's saying here. Right, let's pick up in verse 45. While all the people were listening... Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greatly respected in the, in the, in the market, marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honour of banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be mo punished most severely. Ooh, strong language, isn't it? Well, this passage ends with Jesus revealing, do you know what? This is what's in the, in the Pharisees' hearts and in the leaders' hearts of that day. It's actually quite ugly. They want to just big themselves up. God has called them to look after the widows, to um, humbly serve the people of Israel. Instead, they, they lived in these massive houses, were really rich, used all the money for themselves, saying, you need to respect me, stand up when I come in, walked in these floaty robes. And this is Jesus saying, this is what's in the heart. This is what I'm trying to reveal. And this is why they took such offense on Jesus. They're like, look at us. You need to be under us. You need to obey us. But God is saying, no, no, no. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. That's not what I'm doing. So what a passage, isn't it? It's one long conversation between Jesus and the leaders of Israel. And we see that time and time again, they're offended by Jesus. They're like, we don't like you. We want to get rid of you. We want this Messiah that, will just, that just does what we want him to do, not what you are like. You're, you're like not, you can't fit the mold. You're not, you're not what we think you are or you should be. Um, there's something about, the, about Jesus that's actually offending them. And actually, when we think of us, there's something offending about Jesus in all of us. Just let that sink in a little bit. It's a bit hard to understand sometimes, but Jesus says the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces and anyone whom it falls will be crushed. 
Now, the stone is talking about Jesus. So Jesus is the cornerstone. He wants to be the cornerstone. He wants to be the foundation of our lives. But actually, are we sometimes like the leaders of Israel and we think this is what Jesus should look like in our lives? And then we're thinking, oh, but hang on, he wants us to do something different. Or he answers our prayer in a different way. Or this is not the way that we want that to happen. Sometimes we're like that, aren't we? We can be offended by Jesus. It's really important. I thought today, let's go a little bit deeper in our minds and just think, like, how are we offended by Jesus? So maybe you're new to this journey of Christianity or you're just exploring it. And you're thinking, well, if there's a God of love... Why are all these bad things happening in the world? Why is there suffering? Um, I don't really think God is interested in me. You can be offended by God like that, by Jesus. Or when, we, when we're walking with God a little bit more, we could be offended by God by some of the prayers that he hasn't answered or by the fact that we're still ill or that we still don't live in the house that we want to live in or that we still don't have the partner that we want or that we still don't have the breakthrough that we're longing for. We are offended in every way sometimes by Jesus. And it's really important that we look at that and not just brush it over. Because sometimes I think as Christians, it's very easy to say, oh, I'm going to church, I pray, it's fine, just go on with life, and never look deeper under the surface. What's actually offending me about God? How, how am I doing in my relationship with God? Am I actually um, allowing him to work in the way uh, he wants to work in my life? Because we are a bit like a broken vase. And he's saying, in, 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 it says in the, in, the, in the verse where it says about the cornerstone, he says, I want you to be broken by pieces for, for me to mend you. So we're a bit like a broken vase. We're broken, pieces are broken. And Jesus is saying, let me take you by the hand and make you whole again. This is what Jesus wants to do. And he wants to do that through doing a deep, deep work in our hearts. Because when we don't, I think we can get sarcastic, can't we, about Christianity. Unbelief can creep in our lives. We can get judgmental. Um, we can get bitter. It's really important that we deal with that. So let's look at, uh, look at unbelief for a bit. So Jesus says God wants to heal all our diseases, doesn't he? He's shown us time and time in the Bible. He wants to heal us. And we've been hearing lots of healings, which is fantastic, isn't it? He wants to heal our diseases. So we're going after this wholeheartedly. But sometimes God heals us. And then it comes back. Oh, God doesn't heal us. How do we deal with that? Really important. So for me, my back has been a problem for a long time. Now, I've had lots of prayer, and God has healed me lots and lots of times, which is absolutely fantastic, and I'm really grateful for that. But lots of times it has come back. Now, I have two choices. I can either say, well, some God you are, you healed me. Why is it back? I can be offended by Jesus, can't I? And I've been like that, definitely. Because it's really hard, isn't it? You're like, God, you healed me, and now I'm back again. I'm struggling to, uh, to do my life properly. But actually, what happens then is unbelief will creep in. So the next time I am praying for people, I'm like, yeah, God, some God you are. If I pray for that person, it will come back, I'm sure, because it came back in my back. Unbelief creeps in, doesn't it? And actually, I've learned... Um, throughout the last year, I'm thinking, no, 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 I'm not going to let that creep in. I'm not going to be offended by God. Now, it's not that we can brush over and say, hey, great, isn't it? Because the pain is still there, isn't it? And you're still disappointed. But it's working through that disappointment with God. This is what I said. We need to look deeper in our lives, spending time with God, saying, God, I'm really disappointed. 
And that's okay. You can say that to God. I've been saying it lots to God. I'm, I'm disappointed. Not accusing him, but saying, God, I'm disappointed. I know you're a God of love. I know you want to heal. But I just feel disappointed. Will you come into my disappointment? And that's what he does. And he so lovingly helps us through these things. And this is why it says that Jesus wants to be that cornerstone. He wants to break us to pieces. And he wants to gently heal us back up again. And then it's really important that we lay down the right to understand. I don't understand why people are still ill. I don't understand why pain in my back is coming back time and time again. But what I do know is that God is a God who heals. And then I need to lay down my right to understand God. I don't understand why this is not happening, dealing with the pain, replacing it with the truth. But I know you are still a God who heals, doesn't he? You're still a God who wants to heal. It's going through that process. It's really, really, really important. How about you? Does that hit like a, a note in your heart? Do you feel offended sometimes by God like that when God hasn't healed you or hasn't done anything? I know I do. Let's look at unanswered prayer for a minute. So when you pray a big prayer, sometimes you pray big prayers for things, don't you? Things that you want to see happening in your life, things that a partner that you want to have or a school that you want your child to go to or a house that you want to live in. These big prayers we all have, don't we, for breakthrough, for things that we want to see happening. Sometimes they happen, sometimes they don't. So for us, um, you know, some of you know, some of you might not know, that we've been praying for a house for a long time, for God to provide us with a house, because we want to have a house where uh, we can um, look after lots of children. Now, we've been on a journey... We've been taking you along in the journey. We, we, we gave away lots of money. God has really gave, gave lots of money back to us. We had a great time. And we thought God is going to answer us in this way. He's going to give us lots of money. Or he's going to provide a house just like that for us. And actually it hasn't happened for like four years. And it's a bit tough sometimes to keep going like that, isn't it? You're like, God, you said this. We're hanging on. Can't you see we've got this big faith that you can do this? I still have big faith, definitely. But it... It was really hard to not get offended by God and say, God, you, you said this. Why isn't this happening? Kind of thing. But God has taken us on a journey where he says, trust me. Trust me, trust me, every step of the way. And we had to lay down our right to understand why it wasn't happening in that way and just step by step going into his direction. Now, for now, we thought, because we're renting a house now, so we thought, do you know what? We know that God is going to answer our prayer, but we're just going to try and push some doors, see what we can afford now to buy a bit of a smaller house so we can then wait on God for us. Who knows what he's got in the future? This is what we felt God was saying. Now, it was really hard to lay down our right to understand and not think, oh, but we don't have enough faith in this. It's like um, filling something in for God or we got really confused. But actually, through that process, we're like, no, no, God, Will you speak to us? And God has spoken to us many times and times again. So we tried some doors the other day, two weeks ago, to see if we can buy like a, a four-bedroom house. And actually, we found a great four-bedroom house that we're in the process of buying now. So it's really good, but we're like, huh, that's a bit of a, a, a sort of like a twist in the story. We didn't expect that to happen. But it's a real, it's a brand new house. We'll pay less a month. And it's brilliant for us. But it's laying down our right to understand and laying down our, um, our view of how God would answer that prayer and saying, hang on, Jesus, will you answer that prayer in the way that you think is best? Now, the, 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 the outcome of this all so far is that now when I pray for a building for the church, I'm like, 
come on, God, well, you do it your way, but my faith is way bigger than what it was before because God is such a big God. And this is what he's doing. He wants to work in our hearts. It's not about the outcome of our prayers. It's about the process and what God is doing in our hearts. Now, the trouble is we get offended, don't we? And then God can't work through us. He's like, come on, I want to help you. I want, to, I want you broken in pieces, surrendering to me, surrender your plans to me, then I can help you. But if you get offended and point the finger at God, why haven't you answered this prayer for me? He's like, I want to help you. I'm such a loving father. I want to help you through this. But I can't because you're pointing the finger at me and you're hard, you're hard, you're hard on your heart. Can I urge you, soften your heart. Lay down your right to understand. And God is such a loving father who wants to work through us and flow through us. So when you think about your situation, is there a situation in your life? Maybe you want a breakthrough in your marriage. Maybe you want your new job. Maybe you want a different school for your child or one of your children really needs a breakthrough. Just think for a moment. Am I offended by God in all of this? Do I feel he needs to answer this prayer in this way and do I feel offended that he hasn't or am I laying down my right to understand and saying God will you work through me now how about judgment that's a big one actually because actually we get offended by people don't we like the Pharisees were offended by Jesus now Jesus could have responded in a completely different way to the Pharisees he could have been offended by them and judge them for what was in their hearts, because he knew exactly what was in their hearts. But he's lovingly trying to reveal what's in their hearts, rather than judge them. Now, God has taken me on a journey about judgment lately, and some of the thoughts I'm thinking are pretty ugly. Don't you have that sometimes when you think something about someone else, you're like, ooh, that wasn't very godly to think about that. Like, I don't, I'll never wear that. Ooh, that looks a bit awkward, or ooh the way they raise their children, I would never do it like that. I'm way better than that. Have you ever had these kind of thoughts? Yeah, not the only one here? Hope not. But it's really, really important because we, we judge people all the time, don't we? And sometimes when people get offended by our faith, we try to defend ourselves and say, no, 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 God is a God of love. He, uh, and then you get all flustered, don't you? Ever had that? I had that the other day because I was doing my TSM course last year and we were uh, in a train trying to reach out to people, trying to talk to people about Jesus. So um, we got together with this guy. We picked the completely wrong guy because he was completely anti-God. And he was trying to convince us that we should not believe in God. He's like, don't be ridiculous. Why do you believe in God? He was trying to do it the other way around. And I got a bit offended. I'm like, well, you're talking about my God here. Like, hmm. And I was trying to get a bit flustered, trying to answer his questions. And then he was like coming with another question. Da, 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 da. And then I was thinking, hang on. Why don't I not judge him, not get offended by him, but just see what God is doing in his heart, just love him? So whilst he was renting on, I had lots of time to think and talk to Jesus. So I said, Jesus, what do you, what do you, was he wanting to try to show his tattoos to us? And I was like, no, thank you. That's fine. But anyway, whilst he was doing that, I was like, um, do you know what, Jesus, what, what is the root of all of this? What are you doing in his heart? Why is he like this? And I was trying to sort of talk to Jesus. And I felt God saying, it's because he's really disappointed about something that's happened in his life in the past. So I was like, oh God, will you give us an opportunity? Will you help us to maybe ask a question or maybe he opens up about it? Sure enough, a few minutes later, he looked straight at me and he said, you tell me, why did God let my grandparents die who raised me, who I loved very much when I was 12? 
I was like, boom, there it is. That was the root of all of it. And it's really, really important when we talk to people like that, when people get offended by us, that we don't get offended back. But ask Jesus, what are you doing in this person's heart? How are you bringing out the gold that God is doing in their hearts? And then you can cut right through and then you can really minister to them. Now, unfortunately, the train stopped. We couldn't talk any further. But this is what I've learned from it. Still praying for him that God will soften his heart. Who knows? Wow. Are you feeling it? Deep down inside? This is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to do a deep, deep work in us. Now, why does he want to do that work in us? Just so we can have a better life? We can have it all sorted? I don't think so. Because we're here to reach others, don't we? We're here to reach others with the gospel of God. Now, a while back, Mike Bullinger had a, a word for us. He's, a, he's a, pro, a prophet. He had a word for us as a church that God would um, unplug the drains in our lives. You know, you get a drain, you get lots of muck, hair, dirt. We've got three girls. That's normally about just job. <laughs> to plug it out. <laughs> Lovely. Um, <laughs> but this is what happens in our lives. If we let these things, if we get offended by God, like the Pharisees were, we let all these things creep on. We get unbelieving in our hearts. We get bitter. We get sarcastic. We get offended by other people. We judge other people. It's like dirt that gets into our plug hole. And I believe God wants to plug that out. And he's been doing that gently with me. And through that, I feel much more freely to, to be the person I am, to talk to others about Jesus. I don't really care anymore. And when I pray for people, I don't have that whole rubbish of unbelief. I still have to say, no, 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 I'm not going to go there. I'm going to believe that Jesus will heal. Processing the disappointment, taking all the muck out. And then Jesus wants to flow freely through us. Really, really, really important. Because the beauty is that Jesus' invitation to be the cornerstone is still here today, isn't it? Whilst I was preparing, I was like, Jesus, isn't it amazing that words you've spoken 2,000 years ago, I can now read out and, and explain to others. They're incredible. The God that we pray to is the same Jesus that does this here. Such a revelation. It's, like, it's amazing. Because it says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace, brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So we see that when it says in the verse that the cornerstone, that you will be crushed. Jesus was crushed for us. Remember the broken vase, the broken pieces? He's taken our broken pieces upon himself so we can be made whole and mended again. Isn't that amazing? I'm just so overwhelmed. And not only that, but like we've been seeing this morning that Jesus rose from the death to give us life. I mean, that's just, I'm just so overwhelmed by that Jesus wants to give us life. He doesn't want us to be offended by him and walk around with all these things. He wants to give us life in all its fullness. He wants us to have joy. We should be the most joyful people on the earth because we've got Jesus. And then people will come to us like, where do you get this joy? Well, because I've got Jesus in my life. And Jesus is the answer to everything. And when we get rid of all these other things in our lives, we're like, yes, this is what we can be. This is the freedom. They're still there. The pain is still there. The disappointment is still there. When we don't deal with it, this, we drag this along in our lives. We need to deal with it, go deeper in our hearts. So he can become truly the cornerstone of our lives. Do you want Jesus to be your cornerstone? Do you want him to be your everything? Yes. 
So we've seen we get offended by Jesus, like the leaders were offended by Jesus in different areas in our lives. Now what is our response? Do we harden our hearts like the Pharisees and not let God work to us? Or do we acknowledge that we're broken pieces and saying, Jesus, I don't know this. I really don't understand. I'm laying my right to understand. I'm working through my disappointment and I want you to be my everything. And then Jesus will show us that he was crushed for our failings. He was, he was beaten. He died on the cross. And then he took, took up our broken pieces. And when he rose back from the life again, he made us whole and new again. That's the, that's the gospel. That's the beautiful news of the gospel. Amazing, isn't it? Now the question is, are we in awe and wonder of God? Do we, do we lay down flat on our faces and say, Jesus, this is who you are. Because when the people of the Old Testament, when they come and came into God's presence, or even John in the New Testament, when he came into God's presence, he was like, whoa, they were gobsmacked. Like the Pharisees here, they were like, when you really truly meet with Jesus, you don't have anything to say anymore because you're so overwhelmed by his love, by his greatness for us. Do we want our plug holes to be free? Or do we want to hold on to our offense? Or why haven't you done this? God, I'm really angry with you. Sometimes it's a safe place to be, isn't it? But actually, he wants, he wants to stir our hearts today. He wants to unplug our plug holes of offense, of unbelief, of judgment. And he wants to, say, to get rid of it so we can be truly the masterpiece that he's made us to be, the, the beautiful vase that he's mended. Now, I think it's really important that we spend some time with Jesus now and that we that we process our disappointment uh, with God. Um, I wonder if we could just close our eyes for a minute and we just spend some time with Jesus and just ask him, where am I offended by you? How am I pointing the finger at you and wanting you to answer my prayer in a certain way? Now, if you feel that this is, this is something for you, you're like, ooh, I feel it. Like, you feel that you've got an area of unbelief in your life, that you've got, that the offense is brought, like, unbelief, sarcasm, bitterness in your life, lies you start to believe. Why don't you stand up for a moment and we can process this together. Just between you and God, say, I want that plug hole to be free. I want that dirt to get out of my life. I don't want it any longer. I want you to flow freely through me. Might be helpful to open your hands. Just hold your hands out. And why don't you just tell Jesus in your own words, I'm just, I'm just really disappointed in this Jesus. I thought you would do it this way. I just feel really, really disappointed. It's okay. You can tell him what's in your heart. And why don't you just say to him, I'm going to lay down my right to understand this. We're laying down our right, Jesus. We don't understand this, but we're laying down our right. And ask him to remind you of the truth. What's the truth about this and your situation? Just let him show you. What's the truth? Who is he?
God wants you to know that he's a God who heals, that he's a God who loves you, that he's a God who's for you, he's a God who wants good things for you, he's a God who doesn't beat you up to say, why aren't you doing this this way? He's a God who, who loves you no matter what. I pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters here, for myself as well, Lord. We want to say that we want to lay down our right to understand. Father, we feel disappointed in areas in our lives, but we want that plug hole to be free. We want your water to flow freely through us. Forgive us for, uh, for, for taking offence of who you are. Forgive us for disappointment creeping in. Father, forgive us for unbelief creeping in. Forgive us for judgment creeping in. Restore our minds, Lord, so we can truly see you for who you really are. We want you to be our cornerstone, Jesus. We want you to be our cornerstone. We want you to be our deliverer. We want your resurrection power. Lord. We want that life to flow freely through us. Will you do this, Lord? Can I just encourage you to do this more, more, more in your life? Maybe in life group, maybe with a, with a friend that you know really well. Let's process these things together. Let's not brush over the hard things in life, but process the disappointment together so God can really flow through you.